Especially during these crazy times, to be recording from, well, I'm not in New York, <laughs> but Nate, you are in New York. <laughs> Nate, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Steph. I love talking to you, and the fact that we're just going to record it and you know hope somebody else finds it useful is amazing. Because every time we talk, we end up talking about really deep, amazing topics, and yeah, hopefully, hopefully, there's something good in here for somebody else. Well, I don't doubt that there will be something good. And in fact, conversations like the first conversations you and I have had were the impetus to start this podcast two years ago. And the reason I was so inspired to start the podcast was because I felt like there was so much about human beings, the way you lead, why you started, what you do, how you show up for your family that we can't find out about you on Google that isn't in, you know, expressed in a job description. And yet are the pieces that matter so much when building teams. And I wanted to dive right into that because we were chatting about, you know, some potential new folks to join your team. And I'm just going to put this on the record. You said, Steph, culture fit matters. I need someone who's kind. And I said, Nate, that's a beautiful thing. How do I recruit? How do I interview? How do I find somebody that's kind? And so I want to push this to you. And we're going to dive right in. The clock is on. I only have 20 minutes with you. I want to know what kind means for you and how you go about building, you know, a really world-class business around kindness and more. Yeah. Well, it is, it is an important question. And, you know, I think... I'm a big believer in that light attracts light. And uh, I, if that sounds self-affirming, I guess I don't mean it to be. But, but instead, what I mean is like, you know, when you find somebody that you feel like you really connect with on a kindness and a human level, there's that connection. And, you know, and I felt it when you and I first spoke and we've never even met in person right? In fact, the first time I think we actually saw each other face to face was when we got on our first video call a week or so ago. Mm-hmm. And I, it's, it's hard. It's an intangible. Certainly there are ways of screening for kindness, but I think it, if you were to ask the majority of people if they thought they were a good driver, I think most people would say yes, but there's a law of averages that doesn't, you know, that means that that can't hold up. And so, you know, as it relates to kind of screening for kindness and culture, you know, part of it is there's a huge responsibility on me and on the team that we've already put together at Roan to make sure that no matter what condition somebody comes in at, that we have created the right culture where it's really easy to be kind Mm -hmm. and it's an expectation to be kind. Mm -hmm. And that if you go outside of those boundaries, that we will have conversations and we'll sit down and try and understand what's going on. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the way I've tried to express it before is if if you look at the population out there, there might be 5% of the, of the people that, you know, we call quote unquote bad actors that might always do the wrong thing that might not fit in, in any work culture and have just decided they, you know, they, they want the world to burn or, and, and I don't think that number's 5%, but let's just say for easy numbers, it is. And then you have the opposite of that, the people that no matter where they are, they are amazing 
you know, they go out of their way, they go the extra mile, they can be kind to just about anything. But the rest of us, and I put myself into this bucket, we are influenced by the cultures that we surround ourselves with, the content that we consume, the interactions and the people that we have. And so my job and my responsibility as a leader is to set up a culture that makes it easy to be the best version of yourself. And that also means that there are people that might not work at other places that could work really well in a culture that is set up for success. Hmm. Yeah, beautifully said. And I, you know, as, as a self-proclaimed champion of the underdog, when you say that, I think how brilliant, how beautiful that it might not matter where I've gone to school or what I've done before, but this is something that I can bring to working at Roan and working with you. And it's something that I know I can foster and I can become better at. And, you know, there's so much to it. As I I thought about this when I hung up our last Zoom call, Nate, was that there's so much we can learn about how people respond during tough or bad times. Mm. And I think it's an opportunity where we get to learn kindness on on a whole new level. It's like, I didn't know that I didn't have to be a jerk there. I didn't know, you know, I think of this story all the time. I love bike commuting around my town and, and drivers get so mad and I'm like, dude, I'm on a bike. This is great. You don't need to try to run me over. And I sometimes screw up. And then I like to roll up to the stop sign and say, Hey, homie, like have a good day. I dare you to smile. And, and they just, you know, they don't like hearing that from me, but Anyway, I digress because no, but there's like I love what you're saying, and I think there's a lot of truth. One way of thinking about it would be this you're you've seen those Snickers commercials, right? Like, you're not you when you're hungry, and we we joke all the time because we get some customers who who might not always say the most positive things to our customer service team. For the most part, our customers are really fantastic, but every once in a while, you'll get a you'll get a bad apple in there, and we joke like you're not you when you're talking to customer service and you know there everybody has their triggers and things that you know that might set them off but the big key is how are we going to respond to that and how are we going to say i feel your emotion i see your emotion adversity really i, I i'm going to botch this quote but um i remember hearing it adversity introduces a man to himself mm. or a woman to herself it really has a way of kind of helping you see who you are. And and right now in the world that we live in, there's a lot of advantages of having the amazing devices that we have. We don't do a lot of great structural work on ourselves sometimes. Mm. We have a way of kind of distracting ourselves from some of that hard work that we need to do to be more kind, to be more patient, to be more forgiving, you know, to be better at listening. Because uh, it's too easy when you start feeling these emotions to just pick up your phone and distract yourself. Absolutely. And, and so I think you're right. Adversity really does have a way of kind of helping you see who you are today and hopefully a way of, you know, where you can get to. Because I do think that people can improve and get better. And totally. like you, I'm a big believer in the underdog. Yeah. I, I think it should change the way that we recruit. Recruiting yes. off of a resume and saying, did this person go to a top five business school? I I will tell you, I have no interest in that. I'm not saying it's not a huge accomplishment. It is, but it is not the primary factor. My primary filter is culture. Mm, Totally. 
Well, speaking of culture, I mean, I think there's a lot to be said from the leader on the top and being the co-founder that you are, people look to you, they want to mimic you, they'll probably critique you as well along the way. And Nate, there was a really pivotal moment, and I think it was last year that you shared vulnerability in a way that I really hadn't seen, especially from, if I may say, a uh, a white male leader. And that was on a personal level about what was going on with your, I think, was it your daughter? My son. Yeah. Your my son. son. And I just remember scrolling through the world of LinkedIn and, and seeing this. And I just, I stopped dead in my tracks and I thought what it takes to share something that's so intimate, obviously impacting you and your family so enormously on a platform that we've written off to be professional, I was like, thank you for being human and for keeping, it doesn't matter what platform and it doesn't matter the conversation, like as the leader, this is what is real for you. And do you mind if we go there, can you share a little bit about what that experience and you know, the lessons or not even lessons, just like, tell me about your heart of a, yeah. of a leader during such a crisis. I don't mind. And it's, you know, for me, it's a powerful story that I feel compelled to share. I'm not a big social media person. Mm. You know, I, I, I understand its utility, though. And I particularly saw it in this instance. But, you know, the very quick version of the story is, my son had an accident, he hit his head. And um, at first, we just thought, you know, maybe he's going to get a goose egg, maybe he's concussed, but then he started to vomit and we took him in and the very, very long, complicated story. And if anybody's interested, I, you know, I, I did write about it, but he had a, a brain bleed and had fractured his skull. And when we arrived at the emergency room, the neurosurgeon through a miraculous that, you know, this pediatric neurosurgeon that arrived at the hospital really through an incredible set of miracles said, your son has an hour to live. And if I don't operate right now, we might not keep him. And by the way, when he wakes up, he might have some deficiencies, either mobility or language based on where the impact of the head has happened. And it was, it was, you know, the surgery was an hour long. I can tell you as a father, as a human, I've never ever Oof, never been in that kind of a situation before, nor would I want to return to it. But it was a really powerful time to see how many people surrounded us, you know, both on this side of the mortal veil and, uh, and the other side. I have never felt so tangibly the just love and outpouring of love from so many people. And one of the things that happened during that time that I, you know, maybe contextually feel more inclined to share is while I was uh, understandably on my knees in the waiting room, oh. offering up a prayer, a man came to me with a heavy Jamaican accent and asked if I was praying. I said, I was. He said, can I pray with you? And I said, yes. And he got down on his knees and he offered the most beautiful prayer stuff. I've never, I've never heard anything like it. Mm. And it was the first time that night that I had felt any sense of peace. And he gave me a big hug and then he went on his way. Now, 
the doctor ended up coming out and Will, my son, had uh, an amazing recovery and surgery. He was just downstairs with me. Um, he's got a full head of hair. He has zero complications from this accident. No speech impairment, no cognitive impairment, no mobility impairment. But after that incident, I, I tried to find this man who had been kneeling next to me. And all I remembered is that he was wearing purple scrubs. And so I called the hospital and I said, you know, this is what I know about him. This is what he looked like. They said, well, our purple scrubs are for our janitorial staff. And, you know, you just realize the goodness in people. And I ended up tracking this person down. I said, I need his name. I need his number. And we have had he and his wife over to our house several times. And he will forever be, for me, somebody that I admire and appreciate who did not need to did not need to stop, did not need to spend the time, did not need to share his faith and his love with me. But those are the things that I felt after that event I needed to share. Mm. Um, And I felt, and I didn't, the hardest part about it is I felt super conflicted in the sense that I knew I needed to do it. I thought it would promote the kind of good in the world that I want to see, but I didn't want the attention. And I also, more than anything, didn't want to have to tell the story a million times. So by putting it down on paper mm-hmm. I, and kind of sharing it with people who had been asking and emailing what happened, what's the, you know, what's the latest, mm-hmm. I thought I was kind of taking care of all of those things. But I had no idea the level of impact that it would have and the amount of people that it would reach. It ended up being republished in several publications. And yeah, it was a powerful moment for me and my family. And it's, it's mm-hmm. left me a different person. You're amazing. Life is so special and we can celebrate business successes and acquisitions and, you know, year over year profit that just doesn't compare when you have 60 minutes in a waiting room for the future of the next generation that's your own. Yeah, it is. Uh, It is so not even close to on the same level. And it really does change the way that you look at your team because the people that you work with you spend uh arguably as much if not more Mm -hmm. uh time with them than you do with your own family members Mm -hmm. and do you really want to have a legacy Mm -hmm. of not being the kind of person that you want to be around and do you want to surround yourself with those kind of people Gosh, I am so grateful that you shared the story. I'm going, to, I'm going to completely project my own thoughts on this, that by you holding back and not sharing the story, we don't have access to you being totally vulnerable and perfectly human. And yet, for very good reasons and your wonderful, you know, humble ways, you want to go about this on your own. And I think that it's a great example of the how. And if done in a way that's heart first. There's so much for us to learn. And really, sadly, adversity is what brings us together. And until something hits rock bottom, we don't reach out and say, hey, Nate, how's it going today? You're like, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm good. It's like, no, actually, today I'm not good. And this is what's going on. And then we feel compelled to to meet you there. And in addition to that, I would say that it also creates a ripple effect that can be damaging in the sense that we're not, or 
or amazing where we're not encouraging other people to do the same. We're not encouraging right. them to open up and be who they are. Yeah. And, and so I think when we can show vulnerability, it encourages other people to show vulnerability in a really important and powerful way. Yeah. It's funny how all of a sudden Zoom has us seeing people. I'm like, I don't know why we didn't Zoom before. You were on the other right? side. Yeah. <laughs> continent. But it's it's so cool. Like we see each other face to face and think like here's a great connection and I'm you know, I'm talking to you from my home office and you're in your home office and heck, it's this is so real and there's no reason for me not to show you inside my home. Right. And why 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 didn't we do that before? You yeah, know? totally. And it, there's gonna be some things that we take from this whole experience. I, I certainly don't think that kind of quote unquote normal office life is ever returning. But even if it does, I think that a lot of what has happened and has gone on here, we should we should take with us. Yeah. Well, let's speak of normal office because we dove right into this without you know, celebrating the fact that in 2014, you co-founded a men's apparel line known as Roan. And I want to know the why and the impetus behind this. Well, really, you know, the the brand was the idea of my uh, my brother-in-law, who is my co-founder and uh, and really just an an incredible guy. And I was kind of the entrepreneur in the family, and he came from a finance background. And he said, "I think there's a category here." Mm. And I had been an entrepreneur in my prior life. At the time, I was working at the NFL, running uh, some of the sponsorship strategy there. And, and I said, huh, yeah, that's interesting. You know, I, I was like, let me know how I can help and kind of gave some advice and encouragement. And, and then we said, oh, let's do this. This will be a fun way to spend time with each other. <laughs> and as we got into it, he said, Nate, I really want you to run this. And I wasn't super attracted to it until I started to kind of, you know, really see that I felt like there was an opportunity to inspire this next generation of men, which for the first time, I feel like men as, as a gender are dealing with an identity crisis in, in all the deserved ways possible. But, but it, you know, it just felt like an opportunity to, to rewrite the script. I grew up with an amazing father. He's still around. I don't mean to suggest that he's not, but he is such a good man. He's principled. Mm. He's loving. He's, he is, he's just everything that I think that uh, a man should aspire to be and and not that everybody should try and be the same type of person i what but what he taught me is that you should never judge someone because of their race religion um sexuality belief system and and not everybody was raised that way and not everybody sees that and also i think men are dealing with a lot of self doubt and shame in real ways that they haven't before and so while we're seeing all of these negative messages about terrible acts from guys like Harvey Weinstein, I want my three boys not just to know what not to do, mm. but to also know what they can do and who they can be like. And so we wanted to put positive content of good men doing good things because I know they're out there. I know that there are a lot more people like my dad who mm. don't look at all or sound like him. And so to offer that variety of inspirational male content while trying to make the best product, when that, when I caught that vision, I said, this is the company I want to go build. Mm. And, you know, here we are six years later and we've made, we made a ton of progress there, but we've got a long way to go. 
Amazing. I love that the clock strikes were done. And with that, <laughs> I must ask the last question and then we wrap. And that is okay. what is currently making your heart beat faster? Well, I could take that a lot of different ways. And I apologize. I've got my kids are running around. So if you're here and here in background, that's what that is. It's perfect. Um, but I, you know, I could take that. What am I excited about? What is keeping me up at night? You know, and given the time frame right now, the thing that is making my heart beat fast is the racial injustice that we're seeing in our country. Mm. Um, and, and the hardest thing for me to understand is that this is not new. Mm. This is not a new problem. It's just now being caught and filmed and we're becoming more aware of it. Mm. And I'm feeling a, a very real weight and deserved responsibility, deserved weight rather, and a responsibility to do something about that. I do not believe that brands should sit idle in times like this. I don't think that brands should be so careful about being politically correct that they don't take a stand for what is right. Mm. Um, I think brands have a responsibility as a corporate citizen to do what is right and to stand for what is right, not in a way to sell more product, but to do the right thing. And so the last two and a half, three days, I've been really challenging myself and our organization to figure out what we can do to contribute. We can't ask for more. We need men at the helm of this conversation to support all humans and especially people of color. So thank you for the work you're doing in the world. Thank you for taking the time to have these conversations. I'm so excited to bring this podcast to life and I'm going to wrap this before I get in trouble from your assistant. <laughs> Thank you so much, Steph. It's great talking to you.